Well, you know, um, I've called this series uh, Things you, you Thought You Knew. And it's amazing. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Nephilim, or Nephilim, depending on where you're from. Uh, I think it's Nephilim. But uh, we're going to talk about that. And, and just in researching it, it is amazing what a hot-button topic this is right now. Do you know that this week, I kid you not, in a certain mall in another state somewhere, over 100 police answered a series of frantic calls to go to a mall because somebody had claimed to see Nephilim. We're in a lunatic asylum. Amen? All right, everybody stand up. And we're just going to have a little, little prayer. And uh, we're going to ask God to bless this tonight. How many of you are ready to get in the Word? Ronnie, can you just lead us in that song? You were singing it so light. I want to just sing it before I get into the word. Let's just sing it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. to you in prayer. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you're making the body of Christ and you have made the body of Christ your temple and a living sanctuary. And we pray tonight as we open up your word, Lord, that you would clear the cobwebs, clear out misconceptions, teach us the solid word of God, the rightly divided word. For Lord, if there's ever a day we needed truth and stability and balance and discernment. It's today. Lord, give us discernment. Give us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding tonight. That we would understand this topic because it matters. Because it is, it is affecting the body of Christ. And we pray that, Lord, you will shine your light into our souls. That the entrance of your word would bring light give understanding to the simple. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's a Nephilim kind of night. <laughs> all right. It's good to see all of you here on this very cold evening. And uh, those of you that are watching uh, online, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. And I pray that God visits you right there in your living room, your place of business your car, as long as you're not driving, wherever you happen to be, all right? Uh, now, 
Nephilim. Again, we're, we're dealing with things you thought that you knew. The things you thought you knew. I've heard teachings on the Nephilim for years. Now, I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to explain to you um, what is being taught in some circles. And I will say on a very wide scale, and I'll also say that there are um, some good teachers who have gone with this view, the view that I'm going to share with you. And uh, so I'm not here to disparage anybody. I'm not here to shoot anybody down. I'm just here to, to share with you what I have come to in studying this subject. And I'm going to tell you at the end of this message why it really matters that we address this. Okay? So one of the questions that I've received many times on the radio on our national call-in program called To Every Man an Answer, which I did tonight from 5 to 6. We take answers from around the country, starting Hawaii all the way to New York, California in between. And one of the questions we've gotten way more than once has been on this Nephilim issue. And it's regarding the mysterious giants found in Genesis 6 called the Nephilim. Now, Nephilim is just uh, from a Hebrew word, okay, because the Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. So when you're reading your Old Testament, somebody translated it from Hebrew into English. So the word they translated into Nephilim from Hebrew either means the fallen ones, or it can simply mean bully or tyrant. Take your pick. But that's what it means. Either fallen ones. Uh, one, one person, a uh, uh, Hebrew scholar that I read, said it could even mean one who causes others uh, to fall. So I don't know. But I know that the word itself means fallen one or a bully, a tyrant, like a playground bully. Okay? Now, who and what they were has become a really hot topic on social media. If you YouTube Nephilim, if you do a search in YouTube, you're going to come up with endless YouTube presentations on this subject. Probably more than not going in the direction I'm going to explain to you next. Um, some teach that, and we're going to read the text, but some teach that the sons of God found in Genesis 6 are fallen angels. Okay? Um, we're going to read the phrase sons of God and those who hold to the view that I'm going to be explaining tonight say that the sons of God is talking about fallen ones because of the name Nephilim or fallen angels. And that's who the sons of God uh, are. Furthermore, the teaching goes like this, that these fallen angels married earthly women and sired children by them to produce a half-man, half-demon race of giants called the Nephilim. And some who teach this hybrid human-devil phenomenon also say that such 
Hybrids are amongst us today. Everybody say, ooh, I should have taught this at Halloween. <laughs> now, so with the scriptures as our authority, let, let's read the pertinent passages in Hebrews or Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Here's where this whole thing comes from. Fallen angels, married earthly women, sired hybrid human devil children uh, that became giants and so on and so forth. Here's where it comes from. Genesis 6, 1 to 4. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God, there it is, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now look at verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days. Here we got the giants. Now read very carefully with me. Mark this. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also what? Afterwards. So the giants Moses mentions were already on the earth before the sons of God are mentioned. This matters, okay? So we note that it's not the sons of God siring children by the daughters of men that brought the giants. The giants were there before the sons of God appear in the narrative. You're with me. Okay. So there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Notice with me, watch this, because every word in the Bible matters. Now notice, it's not the sons of God siring children by the daughters of men that brought giants. It does not say that the children born to the sons of God and the daughters of men were giants. It says they were mighty men, men of, uh, who were of old, men who of renown or who were famous. The giants were there before the sons of God appear in the story. When the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men, whoever the sons of God were, and I'm going to show you who they were in a minute, but it didn't bring forth giants. It doesn't say it brought forth giants. It says it brought forth famous men, uh, uh, men that did exploits, men that were of renown. That's what it says about them. As a matter of fact, it's not even criticizing them. It's not in any way telling us they were evil. It says they were famous. Oh, okay. Are you with me? This matters. This, the timing and the way this is laid out matters. Now, you've often heard me say that context is extremely important in interpreting Scripture. Please, I hope you uh, always read something in context. 
in theological studies, we have a little saying, and the saying goes like this. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Okay? Let me tell you what that means. A proof text is a single verse or a couple of verses pulled out of their context to support a teaching or a theological position. All right? You're pulling something out of its context. And you're saying, I'm going to build a doctrine around this without taking into account what came before it or what came after it. I just like that verse, and here's what I think it means, so I'm going to pull it out of its context. And when you make a doctrine around one text pulled out of its context, then you have created a proof text. A proof text being a verse that is supposed to prove your position. Context matters. Simple example. Johnny ran down the street crazily chasing the ball. What if I told you the story and said, Johnny ran down the street crazily? You would think Johnny was crazy. Not you. Although, no. But so you see, if I just take it out of its context, say I want people to think that Johnny was crazy, then I'm going to leave out the last part. He was running down the street crazily because he was chasing the ball. If I remove that, because I want you to think Johnny was crazy, I'm going to drop the last three words. That would be a proof text. I've, I've altered the verse to suit what I want you to believe. That's not how you interpret the Bible. No, no, no. We're not to read into it what we want it to say. We're to take out of it what God meant it to say. Are you with me? So to best understand Genesis 6, 1 to 4, all this about sons of God, daughters of men, and giants and all of that, then we got to drop back to Genesis chapters 4 and 5 because that's the context leading up to Genesis 6, 1 to 4. So I'm going to do it. Please keep in mind with me that the original Bible manuscripts, there were no chapters and there were no verses. Okay, the first Bible, get this, the first Bible with chapters and verses was written in 1555. So for 1500 years, there were no chapters and verses in the Bible that you read. A guy put chapters and verses in it in 1555. Before that, the first 1,500 years of the Christian church with no chapters or verses, the original Bible manuscripts were written on a long, rolled-up scroll that read like an uninterrupted story. You're just reading a story with no chapters, no verses. Pretty cool, huh? With that in mind, we first find in Genesis 4, 16 to 24, the lineage of Cain. Now, Cain's lineage matters in this whole story of the sons of God and the Nephilim. It begins with Cain, who has killed his brother. God has judged him. God has put a mark on him, and I hate to break it to you, but it was not a mark on his forehead or something. It was really a protection that nobody would kill him. 
for what he had done to Abel. Okay, so it opens up in Genesis 4, 16. It's going to give us his lineage, that is, his descendants. Now, it begins with Cain going out from the presence of the Lord. What a sad statement. Instead of coming into the presence of the Lord, he was going out from the presence of the Lord, and that was to mark the character and the spirituality of all his descendants. They went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain went out. Listen, folks, aren't you glad you and I can come into the presence of the Lord? Amen. But Cain, amen. But Cain, a fallen man, a godless man, went out from the presence of the Lord. And when he did, he went out to live a totally godless, self-centered life. And his children and grandchildren also lived godless, self-centered lives. They became the founders of some of the great professions. Uh, one of them trailblazed the music profession. Another one, farming. Another one, craftsmanship, working with metals. They became the first to ever do these things. So they became the founders of what we call professions. But they were godless. When you read about them, there's no mention of God anywhere in their life. God had no part in their life. They, made, they had great accomplishments apart from God. That typifies the lineage of Cain. But then we come to Genesis 5. Leading up to Genesis 6, 1 to 4, Genesis 5. And that chapter is dedicated to tracing the lineage of Seth. This matters. Everybody say, this matters. I'm going to show you how big. Seth, who was he? He was Adam and Eve's third son. He was born after the tragic murder of his brother, Abel. Abel was killed by Cain. Eve brought forth Seth later. All right? The lineage of Seth in chapter 5 is clearly shown to be the righteous lineage. Cain is clearly shown to be the, the worldly, godless lineage. That, that tracks all the way through the Old Testament. But Seth is the righteous lineage. The lineage of Seth in chapter 5 is, 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 is the lineage that sought God. We're told that after the birth of Seth, his first son Enosh, when Enosh was born, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So Cain's lineage walked away from the presence of the Lord. Seth's lineage is calling on the name of the Lord. All right? This matters, everybody. So these lineages, I know you've been, if you've been going through the Bible with us, you've just come across those lineages in ne Nehemiah. And I know what you've thought. You've thought, do I really have to read every name? You don't have to. You get to. You don't have to. But the lineages matter because they, they trace to Christ or not, okay? So after the birth of Seth's first son, Enosh, men began to call on the name of the Lord. They began to pray. They began to go to God, turn to God, pray to God, worship God. And this would typify and characterize the lineage of Seth all the way down to the arrival of Christ. Because out of Seth's lineage, our Lord came. Catch that. Not Cain. 
Seth. The worldly, godless lineage of Cain dies out after about seven generations, while the lineage of Seth is with us to this day through Jesus Christ. The lineage of Seth is chock full of men of faith. You got Enoch in the lineage of Seth, raptured because he walked with God and he was no more. He was of Seth's line. Methuselah, who lived longer than any man, 969 years. Can you imagine living 969 years? You're, you're just, you're, you're just, man, at 200 years old, you're just getting started in life. 900, he almost made it to a millennium, all right? But he's in the lineage of Seth. Uh, then you've got uh, Lamech, and who's Lamech? He's the father of Noah. So that goes without saying, Noah was of the lineage of Seth. So you got all these righteous people walking with God, pleasing God, praying to God, rescuing people because of their faith in God, leaving, leaving a footprint for God on the, on the earth. This is the lineage of Seth. So all you got to walk out here knowing is the lineage of Cain was worldly and godless all the way through. The lineage of Seth was blessed and it's the righteous lineage. And like I said, led all the way to the birth of Christ. Matter of fact, when you, when you read the genealogies of Matthew and Luke, Luke's genealogy traces uh, Christ all the way to Adam. And the second to the last person named in that lineage is Seth. So in chapter 6, verse 2 opens with the phrase, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Track with me, church. Does it not make total linguistic sense that the sons of God is talking about the righteous line of Seth? Come on. Sons of God, sons of God. Who's he been talking about in chapter 5? For the whole chapter leading up to chapter 6, Seth and the righteous lineage. So when he says the sons of God looked on the daughters of men and married them, it's not fallen angels. It's the line of Seth, the righteous lineage. This matters. All right? So to claim that the phrase sons of God is talking about fallen angels is problematic. Now I'm going to walk you through it. First, track with me. Never in all the word of God is the phrase sons of God used to refer to a fallen evil person. Not one time. Sons of God is never used to refer to a fallen evil person. Not once. Conversely, over 40 times in the Bible, the phrase sons of God is used to describe God's people. Over 40 times. Even Adam in Luke's genealogy, he, he traces Christ all the way back to Adam. And Adam, in Luke's genealogy, is called the Son of God. He's the Son of God. Amen. That's Luke 3.38, if you want to look it up. It's always a phrase, sons of God, always used to describe the righteous, including the angels in Job. Because people who teach the fallen angels' message, doctrine... They always point to, to the phrase sons of God in the book of Job. Well, so what? Sons of God was used there to refer to angels, but they were good angels. They were righteous angels. They were angels that were serving God. So he called them sons of God. 
But that doesn't mean that because angels in Job were called sons of God, that it has to be angels in Genesis 6, fallen angels. No. In the New Testament, sons of God is the given identity of born-again believers. You know what you are? You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. God calls you that. Why? Because you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, filled with the Holy Ghost. You're redeemed. You're heaven-bound, not hell-bound. You're a son. You're a child of God. Amen? So let me ask you a question. And I'm, and I'm posing this to those that teach that fallen angels came to earth, lusting after earthly women, married them, and sired children by them. Let me throw a question to you. Would God grant a fallen, wicked spirit the same descriptive as his precious only son? Because Jesus is called the son of God. Can you imagine Satan being called a son of God? If fallen angels were sons of God in Genesis 6, then why has God never called Satan a son of God? Because you and I would want to throw up, wouldn't we? Because, no, God called him what he is. Serpent, liar, murderer, deceiver, accuser. There's not one good descriptor for Satan because that's what he is. Why would God flip the script and say, well, these fallen angels, I'm just going to call them sons of God. They weren't. It wasn't fallen angels. Second, angels are spirit beings, not human. Can I have an amen there? So if fallen angels from wherever they were in the heavenlies looked down and looked at earthly women and said, they're kind of hot. I think we'll go down there and marry them and sire some children by them. Now, this is, this is what's taught. This is what's taught. Then here's the million-dollar question, and to me, the debate really stops here. Um, they're spirit beings. So how's a spirit being going to sire a child? Now, here's the thing about angels and demons. They can appear as something. In the Bible, angels several times appeared as a human being. Abraham looked up one day and standing outside of his tent was three men. And he knew immediately they were angels. Now, two of them were angels and one of them was a Christophany. That means Jesus himself had come with the two angels because Sodom was about to be judged. So Christ came with the two angels. A Christophany is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ on earth. Okay? I know that it was Christ because Abraham calls him Lord, capital L. So Jesus, with two angels that looked like men, all three of them looked like men. So they could appear to look like men, but they weren't men. They were angels that appeared to be something so that they could communicate with man. They came and appeared like men. Hebrews tells us, for instance, don't forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. That does not mean you should pick up hitchhikers. Can I just throw that in? That doesn't mean you should be stuck on stupid. You should be discerning at all times. All right? Because, uh, well, I'm going to leave it there. 
You got to be very wise these days, all right? Uh, but here's the thing. These are angels appearing as men so that they communi can communicate with men for God's purposes. They are not actual men. Read my lips. They are not actual men. They appear. Amen? Third, since angels are spirit beings, they would literally have to morph. If this was true that fallen angels, demons, looked at earthly women and said, boy, I like what I see, and by lust came to earth, morphed into men, married them. Can you imagine marrying? Now, some of you, be careful here. Can you imagine marrying a devil? Uh, be careful here. But can you imagine what, what you're actually teaching with this? You're teaching that fallen angels morphed into men and walked the aisle with women and married them and sired hybrid, half-human, half-devil children who are now walking around. They're, they're not fully human. They are transhuman. No pun intended. Trans works in many ways. All right, now. But, but track with me now. Please, please watch this. Because this is taught, this is very popular. You go home and Google it, you're going to see how popular. But I want us to use our brains. And I want us to walk through the scriptures rightly dividing them. So here's the thing. If, if fallen angels did this, that means they had to morph into real flesh and blood men. Complete with DNA a gene pool, spermatozoa, and male anatomy in order to marry and produce offspring. There's no other way. Seriously? Here we need to remember something very important God did in creation. All the way back to the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, the golden rule of every living thing is that it could only reproduce exclusively after its kind. Are you with me? That's the golden rule of creation. Okay? So let's talk Darwinism for a minute. This is where Darwinism begins to fall apart quickly. Because one species cannot produce another species. You can have all kinds of differentiations within a species. I'm a dog lover. How many kinds of dogs are there? A thousand. But they're all canine. They're all that species. A canine is not going to give birth to another species, say reptilian. It can't happen. Species can't cross. Okay, there's no trans species. That's why Darwinism falls apart. Whatever the first thing was that crawled out of the ancient sea, whatever it was, it was what it was. It was one species of something, according to Darwinism. Well, that one thing was, was one thing. How did it cross over into kajillions of different species, from mammal to bird to reptilian to marine life? How? It didn't. 
That's the golden rule of creation. God said over and over, he said, after their kind, they will reproduce. That's why you're not going to get an orange out of a tomato. You're not going to get a bird out of a cat. This is the golden rule of creation. So, here's the thing. How could spirit beings produce human offspring? Because that's not their kind. That's getting out of their lane. All right? So, as a matter of fact, even Jesus said the angels are sexless. Jesus said, when they talk about angels, he was talking to the Sadducees who don't believe in an afterlife or a resurrection. He says to the Sadducees, he said, listen, when they rise from the dead, Jesus countered them and said, there is going to be a resurrection. He said, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. That's talking about you and me. There'll be no marriage in heaven. But we are like the angels in heaven. Okay? So everything changes in heaven. Much as you may love the, the, your mate, you won't be married in heaven. Okay? You'll know them, but you won't be married. You'll be like the angels in heaven. So Jesus lets us know the angels in heaven are sexless. They're not. That, they're spirit beings. Nowhere in all the Bible do you find an angel with the power to create anything. So how is an, a fallen angel, I like that woman, I'm going to marry her, but i got to become a man first. How is he going to create, morph himself into a man when an angel or a fallen angel has never been given the power to create anything? I mean, the argument just starts falling apart. Okay? They are created beings. They're not creators. In Scripture, they appear a certain way, but this was done under the guidance of God. Now watch this. Paul even said, he said, let me tell you about Satan. He can appear as something that he's not. We need to really hear this one. He said, they appear, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. What is that telling us? He puts on a disguise. He makes us think he's something that he's not. The last thing Satan wants is to be discovered. He doesn't want to be discovered. He loves it when you don't believe in him. You're easy. You're an easy kill when you don't believe in him. You got to know that he's there. But he comes to us in disguises. And he's able to make himself look like what he is not. An angel of light. That's powerful. A literal angel glowing with the glory of God. He's able to make you think He's a good angel from heaven, literally sent from God. The false teachers that are the best ones do this. Angels of light, apostles, false apostles. Paul talks about these. This isn't Jeff. I'm, I'm telling you what the Bible says. False prophets, false Christs, false apostles. Is the devil in them able to... There is a woman gaining a lot of recognition in America, I'm not going to name a name, who I think is right on the verge of creating a brand new cult. And she puts on this angel of light persona. And she's literally these days, in America, got people worshiping her. 
And when I look into her eyes, I see Satan. But her persona is this big winning smile and moving and talking graciously and complimenting people here and there and flattering them and and getting up and calling herself an apostle. But I guarantee you, she's an angel of light. She's not real. No, I mean, as a human, but not any apostle. Satan is appearing as an angel of light through this woman. Maybe the day will come, I'll say her name. If I think she's encroaching on my turf, you'll hear her name. Okay, now, the word transforms. He transforms himself into an angel of light. It means to change in appearance, as with a disguise. But it has nothing to do with becoming truly human. Satan never becomes truly human. He just appears a certain way. So fourth, when speaking of Noah's generation, this is very interesting. When speaking of Noah's generation before the flood, Jesus says this about Noah's generation, where these so-called fallen angels were marrying women. Okay? He says, in those days before the flood, they, that is, human beings, were marrying and giving in marriage. He's not talking about angels. He said human beings. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of the Man. Coming of the Son of Man. They were marrying and giving in marriage. What's wrong with that? The picture that he draws is a whole generation totally devoid of any knowledge or care about God. They were all into just living life without God. Material gain and all of that. Feeding their sensual pleasures, all of that. So, Here's my question. If there were fallen angels siring children by earthly women, this would have been the perfect time for Jesus to say it. Right? Yeah, as in the days of Noah. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Why didn't he say those fallen angels, they were marrying women and siring hybrid children? He didn't. Not one word. Why? Because it didn't happen. I'm coming to the close. Y'all are very quiet. Okay, that's good. That means you're thinking. Now, there's two New Testament proof texts. Remember I told you about proof texts? Pulling a verse out of context to create a doctrine or to prove your point. And here's the two, 1 Peter 2, 4. They say these two New Testament verses tell us fallen angels got with earthly women. 1 Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare thee, who? Angels. Who did what? Sin. But cast them down where? To hell. And deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. They say that verse is talking about those fallen angels. Then Jude 6 is almost a, a repeat of 1 Peter 2, 4. And the angels who did not keep their what? Proper domain. But left where? their own abode, what has God done with them? Reserve them in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Those two New Testament verses, these are the ones that those that teach fallen angels had relations with earthly women. These are the New Testament verses they hang their hat on. 
The first Peter verse, to me, you read it, simply describes what we already knew. One third of heaven rebelled with Lucifer. They were cast to the earth under the judgment of God. Right? You got to read into it, the fallen angel thing, because it's not there. Now, then the Jude verse also tells us what we already knew. The angels that rebelled with Lucifer didn't keep their proper domain. When they rebelled with Lucifer, they left their proper domain, the place God had given them to function and to have their being and their borders. They left that, and they rebelled against God. And they, it says, left their abode, their dwelling place. So they rebelled against God by leaving their rightful place in the heavenlies. We already knew this. How are either one of these verses interpreted to mean fallen angels got with earthly women and sired hybrid devil children? It's not there. Everybody say with me, it's not there. Right? Are you with me? I know what you're thinking. Then who, Jeff, were the giants? Get to it. Who were they? Okay, let me just give you my thoughts. Quickly, we'll close. Why could they not have been giants through genetics? We got that around us today. We got real tall people. We got real short people. We got big people. We got little people. You ever gone out in, on, into uh, the lobby where a professional basketball team is playing and have them come out and say hi to you? Hey there. Really enjoyed the game. I mean, track with me, everybody. Come on. Um, why not genetics? Both giants and little people, they're, they're everywhere. So here's the thing. The Bible says that the only survivors of the flood were Noah, his sons, and their wives. Then that means all of these pre-flood giants perished. They're all perished. Okay, well then where did the Philistines come from? Where did the sons of, of Anakim that the 12 spies saw and said, we were like grasshoppers in their sight? Where'd they come from? That's post-flood. Where'd they come from? If all of the Nephilim were killed by the flood, then where'd these other giants come from? More angels coming down and having relations with earthly women? What? Is that what you're saying? No. The tallest human man ever recorded in modern history was Robert Wadlow. He was measured at nine feet. Try shopping with him. He, he wouldn't be able to go to the tall men's store. Everything was custom made for him. But how was he such a giant? Genetics. A Turkish woman, tallest modern female, measured in at over seven feet. How did it happen? Through genetics. Now I want you to keep something in mind. The fall of man, when the man fell, everything in God's creation went haywire, including genetics. The lifespan of man fell from centuries long, Methuselah, 969 years, to below 100. We live in a broken world where all kinds of things are not as God intended. Okay? So I have to conclude that the sons of God were the righteous line of Seth. All rules of grammar and context lead me there. 
So then why did he send the flood? I'm closing with this. God's issue was that they, the Sethites, the righteous lineage, had walked away from him. One indicator of the universal moral decline that brought God's judgment by the flood was the line of Seth choosing worldly godless women based on sight, not their godliness, not their character, not their faith. It was lust. And they chose them. And this practice was strictly forbidden. Getting righteous people getting with the unrighteous. Even today, we've got it in the Bible, our New Testament. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. All right? So it goes all the way down to the New Covenant. But way back then, don't marry, don't intermarry with the godless. Because they will take you down. And they did. So the righteous line of Seth, hooking up with these worldly women who are in the lineage of Cain is one of the signs of the apostasy of the age. And that's why God said, violence is covering the earth. Even my righteous line of Seth has gone sideways. Even they have walked away and given up their walk with me. So there's nothing left. I'm going to judge the world. And I'm going to take it out with a flood. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and everything they thought or imagined was only evil constantly. The corruption was so complete that not only did a righteous thought enter, never enter a man's mind, but on top of that, violence filled the earth. And God said it's going to take universal judgment, and he sent it. Now let me tell you why this matters. Why teach on this? One, because if you believe the fallen angel teaching it's attributing to satan a power he doesn't have okay and lastly to me it creates an unhealthy focus like ufos you really into the ufo thing everybody's into the ufos there's movies there's shows coming out on it ufos and and all these these craft that have been seen in the sky defying natural law, gravitational law. There's UFOs, and there's ETs, and, there's, and, and they're walking around. And, and then if you believe this fallen angel thing, then how do you know that somebody you're meeting is not half human, half devil? You know what you're going to be doing? Hybrid hunting. <laughs> Ooh, I had discernment. Let me tell you something. No. It takes your focus and mine off of the Great Commission. And I'm going to keep my focus on the Great Commission. Can we stand together? Amen. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Woo, it's hot now. <laughs> Now, how many of you have followed with me through that? That, that was deep, okay? That was deep. Um, now, if you believe the other, I still love you. You're still going to go up in the rapture. That's okay. If you want to be wrong, that's okay. No, I'm just kidding. But think about what I said. If you've been of that persuasion, think about it. Study what I've said, because all I did was pull from Scripture. Father...
we just thank you that you're a God of soundness, a God who has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind of self-control. We thank you, Lord, that you're fully in charge of your creation. We thank you that the laws you put in place at creation are fixed and can't be changed. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to keep our eyes on the most important purpose any Christian has, the Great Commission. Go to the world. Preach the gospel. Make disciples of every nation. Baptize them. That's our purpose. And help us to keep our eyes peeled on it. In the mighty name of Jesus. Can we lift our hands and let's just worship a chorus or two before we go tonight. Thank you, Lord. Lead us, Ronnie, in just a chorus or two. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.